0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, I'm Kirsten Ellsworth, a host for the Art Channel for the New Books Network. And today, it is my great pleasure to be speaking with Donna Stein, author of The Empress and I, How an Ancient Empire Collected, Rejected, and Rediscovered Modern Art, published by Skira uh, 2020. And uh, I'd like to introduce Donna Stein a little bit here. Donna Stein is uh, a curator, essayist, writer. The book is her memoir. She is also the retired deputy director of the uh, Venda Museum of the Cold War in Los Angeles. So she really, as you will learn, helped found two museums during her career. And um, Donna, maybe I should just let you start talking to us about your book and ask you the big question. How did you get involved in this grand adventure of moving to Tehran in 1974 and working on this museum?
2: Well, in 1972, I received a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts when I was... um, working at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And uh, I ended up taking, um, uh, actually leaving the museum, and I spent seven months traveling around the world. On that trip in uh, early 1973, I arrived in uh, Tehran, and that was my first time there. And uh, I had an old friend from college who was uh, married to an Iranian professor, and uh, I stayed with her. And then I also had met at the Museum of Modern Art an intern uh, from Iran who uh, was a friend of mine by then, and uh, she, you know, welcomed me and I traveled around the country and I met uh, many people through my Iranian friend and my uh other college friend, and uh, I visited Shiraz in Isfahan, And then I went on my way because I was studying the art and architecture of World's Fairs and their cultural impact. So uh, I ended up spending um, much of my time uh, in Europe. In any case, uh, I kept, you know, continuing my friendship with my uh, Iranian uh, uh contact. And uh, I received a letter towards uh, the fall of 74, asking me if I would be interested in working for the Queen's office where she was employed. And uh, if so, it would be better for me to come to interview before the end of the year. Well, I was teaching and doing various other things at the time, but... um, Uh, The last two weeks of the year in 74, I went to Iran again uh, to interview. And I spent those weeks writing reports, uh, going around, uh, looking at art. Uh, I was introduced to a lot of people at that time also. And um, I was shown, uh, I was actually shown the museum that they were building for the the museum. Um, I was known because of my work at the Museum of Modern Art as a a graphic art specialist, prints and illustrated books. But I wanted to um, enlarge my portfolio in a way that would make sense. And I proposed at the time that I would become um, an advisor on Western acquisitions of works on paper, which meant... Uh, drawings, prints, illustrated books, and photographs. And uh, I was f- following actually what many museums around the world were starting to do, which was to uh, uh, group together works on paper because they were similar to store. They, uh, you know, were also uh, uh, an important aspect of an artist's career and I thought that uh, that would be my role. Uh, but beginning with that trip in 1974 when uh, there was a art fair, uh, the first international art fair in Tehran, uh, I began to uh, select works that were purchased uh, that were paintings, drawings, uh, not drawings, paintings and sculptures. So for From the beginning, really, even before I was hired fully, um, I was uh, broadening out the mandate that that, uh, uh, they had given me. I actually started to work officially on February 15, uh, 1975, and uh, I was living in New York at the time. And they asked me to stay there and to work from New York for a period of a couple of months. Well, that was extended till four months and during that time, I was visiting dealers, auction houses, artist studios, private dealers, uh, collectors, and workshops for uh print prints um, and selecting things that I thought would be of interest to uh the Iranian. Uh, community. And uh, by the time I actually had left Iran in uh, 1974, it was clear to me that the museum would be a museum for international art and for Iranian uh, contemporary art and also that it would be a um, uh, uh, a collection that would begin with Impressionism, which was what the Queen had asked. And I had seen at the time also what the museum looked like in terms of its outer structure. It wasn't finished inside, but at least I could uh, walk through it and have a sense of what the galleries were going to be and and uh, how the museum would function. And so uh, based on the you know knowledge that I had... Uh, Seen in Tehran, and the uh, reports that had been approved, which included uh, an acquisition policy that I wrote, uh, I started looking for things that could be part of the collection. And um, at the end of May in 1975, rather, I um, I greeted uh, three Iranians. Um, my main boss, who was the chief of the Queen's Secretariat, uh, a, a f- the former UN ambassador, who was a collector of art, and uh, my friend, who was also a colleague in the Queen's office in her private secretariat, and um, so they came for ten days, and in, in ten days we bought out of the wor- works that I had. Uh, set aside 125 works in all media, uh, prints, drawings, photographs, illustrated books, uh, paintings, sculptures, and tapestries. Uh, It was an amazing 10 days. And uh, I I had, in in 1974, we had started um, with uh, acquisitions from the International Art Fair. And at that time, we had bought uh, two sculptures and a painting by Giacometti, a canvas by Kandinsky, um, a uh, sculpture by Brock, um, a, a, a mixed-media work by Soto, and a painting by Hartung, um, I believe there may have been a couple of other things, but those were the main works that I remember. And then uh, in in New York, uh, we bought things beginning with Impressionism and uh, straight through to uh, the contemporary period. Uh, I, um, for instance, knew very well uh, Tatiana Grossman from Universal Limited Art Editions, and uh, she was the uh, primary printer of all the major artists, uh, contemporary artists in America, and some from Europe as well. And uh, as a result, uh, we bought Rauschenberg's and John's and Frankenthaler and Francis, Sam Francis and um, uh, many other artists that they handled uh, and printed. And then um, at the dealers, we bought things like uh, uh, Picasso's uh, uh, painting uh, from 1920. Uh, It was called The View Through the Window on the Rue de Pontievre in Paris. And uh, uh, we bought a fantastic uh, Deren painting from 1904, which was um, at another dealer's and it was um, called uh, The Golden Age. Uh, And it was one of the first paintings that actually Iran lent to the Museum of Modern Art during their great Fauve show. So uh, they were buying very substantial works in all media and beginning to form uh, an exemplary uh, collection, that would you know, hopefully fill out over time, which is what my acquisition policy recommends.
1: Just listening to the list of um, works is very impressive and compelling. And I would also like listeners to know that the book is beautifully illustrated with some of these pieces, um, imagery of some of these pieces. I'm wondering if you might tell us how the position that you kind of created for yourself or helped fashion, I guess, um, at the museum evolved over your time there. I know in the book there are some very interesting twists and turns in the story of what you were doing and what you wanted to do. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, I was, as I and as I mentioned, I was originally
2: thought to be a specialist only in graphic arts, and I wanted to expand my portfolio. And when I started, uh, I thought that I was going to actually work with someone on the building of the collection. That would have been my preference. But uh, in fact, uh, it ended up that I was the only one who was working with the, uh, the uh, chief of the Queen's Office. And uh, he was a man who had his PhD from USC, but uh, wasn't in art. Uh, it was, <laughs> um, it was a, a, in a, a subject completely unrelated, and he didn't really know much about art. So I considered it uh, really my—in uh, in order to uh, make him understand what I was uh, actually trying to achieve— and to understand the value of the works that I was presenting as possible acquisitions that uh, had to teach him about the history of art and certainly the modern art. And uh, so every session when we met to go over works of art that were either presented to us or which uh, I had found through our connections or on auction, we would talk about the value of the work in terms of its rarity and its uh, place in the history of art and uh, its technique. And uh, through the course of two years, he learned quite a lot and thanked me in the end for all of that. Um, But uh, it was a, a, uh, Incremental uh, kind of change uh, in my position because he had to learn to trust me and uh, know that I was, uh, you know, altruistic in my approach, that I was really trying to get the best for them and to follow what we had all agreed upon as the basis of my work. So I ended up working on several exhibitions. One was for the Nagaristan Museum. Uh, I, I was asked to do an exhibit um, of the print collection of, of the Empress. And uh, that took me for the first time to Niavaron Palace. And uh, I uh, went there on several occasions to um, catalog the works that she had and to work uh, be there for the photographer, and uh, and then I realized that um, you know she had acquired things that she liked, and um, that some of them were by you know important artists, uh, but not necessarily the most important work. But it was an opportunity to do the first exhibition of contemporary graphics in Iran. And uh, so I made it into a kind of uh, educational exhibition, uh, didactic one, and uh, talked about print techniques, and and it included the work not only of international artists like Vasarely and uh, Chagall and Picasso, but also um, it included uh, several. Uh, Iranian artists because she was a big supporter, of course, of the Iranian uh, contemporary community. And so there were works by Tanav and Arab Shahi and Mohassas and various other artists who uh, were working at that time. I also worked on a big exhibition that uh, was at the Basel Art Fair in 1976 And uh, it was an exhibition of, uh, I think, 36 contemporary Iranian artists. And uh, I was part of a team of um, people who chose the artists and the works for the collection that was exhibited. And it was an opportunity for the uh, Iranian artists to see their work in a global setting and to understand what the global market was. Uh, There was a very active uh, art uh, interested community in Iran. And uh, during the time it was there, several new galleries opened. But uh, the artists, only a few of the artists had really an international presence and dealers. And so they didn't have a real sense of what the value of their art was on a global stage. So this was an opportunity for them to uh, participate and to also learn a lot about uh, what the contemporary scene was around the world and not just in Iran. And then uh, on top of that, the uh, Queen's office uh, took uh, the artists and their families on a uh, 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 kind of a, a broad tour of various places uh, in Europe to uh, inform them more about what was going on elsewhere and for them to see some important sites because a lot of the artists hadn't had an opportunity to travel that way.
1: Many levels to what you were doing, uh, your collections policies, uh, choosing works, providing some education and some networking. And I'm wondering, um, related to that, you come to that situation as an American woman. And I wonder, um, you know, what it was like being a woman doing this work at the time, living on your own in Tehran, how you made friends or how you were received you know, it was a, in
2: a, a, it was uh, an amazing place at that time. There was uh, a real international um, community. People from all over the world were uh, coming to Tehran because it was, uh, you know, the the most lively place, and the, there was a lot of money in Tehran, so a lot of building going on, and uh, it it was. Uh, an exciting time to be there, actually. I lived in uh, an apartment complex uh, which had uh, two towers around a plaza. It was central in the uh, sort of middle of Tehran, so it was uh, not a a long walk to my office, or I could take a, a, a kind of jitney taxi if I wanted, that only went on one street in one direction. And uh, you would yell out that you were going straight ahead and the one or two taxis would, would uh, try and get you to come into their taxi. And, uh, and then you would tell them where you were getting off, what the cross street would be and they would drop you off. Anyway, the, the, uh, the advantage of where I live besides having, a you know, a, a, Uh, air-conditioned and, uh, you know, a properly heated um, apartment. It also had a great view of the Albers Mountains, which were very majestic and beautiful and uh, wonderful light. It was very small, but it was uh, really just perfect. And the building had a 24-hour concierge and it had on two levels, like a department store. It was a a market, you could get, uh, um, there was a camera store, there were rug stores, there were various uh, shops of every variety. And that was also convenient. So uh, as a foreigner, it was a good place to live. And, uh, you know, I had some language, by the time I arrived in Iran, I, I was taking uh, Farsi lessons in New York uh, for four months. And so I could make my way and I could ask for things and uh, and shop, um, but I couldn't have a real intelligent conversation. Um, but it, it did help me. And then, of course, when I got there, I knew that I had to... Uh, study more. And so I hired another tutor and uh, continued to study for a time. And it was, it was good for me to uh, be able to understand certain things, to be able to read letters and numbers, to uh, uh, somehow converse. Um, I found it easy to converse with children, for example, but, uh, or people in the countryside much more than in the city. And I also was curious what people were saying about me. So I, uh, I could sort of eavesdrop a little bit and understand, which I thought was useful.
0: slash nbn50 to get
1: 50% off. I can imagine, right? With all these different people you're meeting and um, something that I really enjoyed in the book is the very honest description of certain kinds of encounters that and um, your perception of people. and It just adds another dimension to this book about what it was like to be in Tehran at that time whether one is working, was working at a, a museum or not. Um, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I was actually, actually not working at a
2: museum. I was, I was working in an office in, in a kind of downtown uh, Tehran, um, a very discreet office that had the Queens insignia out, out front, but that's all. And uh, the museum didn't open until 1977. So, uh, I, I never actually worked in the museum, or f- I only was uh, a contractor for two or three exhibitions, which I did for the opening of the museum. So, uh, you know, um, I, I had uh, some impact on uh, aspects of how the museum was uh, finished, And uh, I had uh, one of the things that I did that uh, uh, from the beginning was I was buying books for the first national library of art history. And uh, I bought more than 10,000 books, art history books that were, I think, eventually put in the library of the museum but uh, I hired two Iranian uh, t- two two uh, librarians, one was American and one was Iranian to uh,
1: catalog all the books that I had acquired. One wonders where those books are now which might lead us to um, what um, what might have what is the current state of affairs regarding the collection that you helped? And we're so important in creating there and helping them acquire, um, as we speak, where, where are these things? Okay, well, the museum has a very
2: uh, um, large storage. And uh, for most of the last 40 years, uh, most of the collection has been in storage. It's come out for an exhibition in 1999, when there was uh, an opening up and a, a more liberal government under Khatami and, uh, uh, and then again, in 2005, there was a large exhibition of the Western materials. Uh, but when the Islamic revolution happened, uh, the museum was closed down, and uh, Khomeini was very against West toxification, uh, and he he uh, was very firm that uh, the artworks wouldn't be seen. And so it took a long while before uh, ten years and after he died actually before the museum uh, was able to show the works in 1999, and. Uh, the the collection still remains mostly in storage. Uh, things go out on uh, loan to other countries, and indeed, uh, I tried very hard in my uh, in the essay part of my uh, book to to talk about which works were exhibited and where they were exhibited outside of Iran and also in Iran because. In the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so, more and more works have been uh, included in various exhibitions even of Iranian artists like uh, Ferry Lashai had um, a retrospective and uh, her works were shown in conjunction with the Western uh, objects, which was uh, something that you know, didn't happen too much before that time.
1: And so at a certain point in the memoir, you decide to leave and, um, maybe it's very interesting. We don't want to give everything away in the book, but, um, why you chose to leave, uh, Tehran and, um, how that, how that went. Okay. (laughs)
2: You know, um when, when I went there, uh, I got a one-year contract, and, um, and I signed up for a second year. But shortly after um, I had my second contract, I also had a trip home for the first time to uh, see family and friends. And it became very clear to me that, uh, um, you know, there was only a limit to what I could expect to do in Tehran, and, uh, you know, uh, the frustrations were great. It was not an easy job. It was the hardest job I've ever had. And uh, so I, I decided on that trip that really I was not going to uh, have a, a third, um, uh, you know, third year there. I, I, I felt that my two years were going to be sufficient. And I came back, it was uh, probably summer of uh, 76. And uh, I was very busy. And, uh, and then towards the end of that year, uh, the architect for the museum, Cameron Debo, was named the director of the museum. And uh, there was a change in government in Oct- at the end of October of seventy six, and the man who had been my uh, boss at, at the head of the Queen's Office was um, uh, became the Minister of Information in the Shah's cabinet, and another uh, man, uh, Doctor Nahavandi, became the director of the Queen's Office, and. Uh, I, I was put in a very strange position because um, um, the man who had brought me there was kind of my protector, and uh, it was uh, uh, very awkward for me because I didn't have um, – I didn't know how I would actually be able to complete my work, and uh, I, I uh, was very concerned that the artworks would – get damaged because they were left at, at um, customs and not brought to the Queen's office or to storage. So uh, it, was, it was a very difficult time, those months. And uh, I was just told I had to be patient. Well, I had to be patient until May. And then in May, even though that was three months after my... Um, second contract had expired I was uh, uh, able to do the completion of my work and and then I was given the tax papers and customs papers that I needed in order to leave so it was a it was a very strange uh, a, a moment in my work there uh, I it's longer than a moment months uh, where I was uh, kind of Uh, baseball being thrown back and forth between four different people. Um, The head of the Queen's office, the head of the Department of Arts and Culture, uh, the director of the museum, uh, each one wanted something from me or didn't want something from me. And it was very hard. But um, I finally managed and uh, I decided I left at the end of May went to Europe, came back again because I had a job in Tehran, um, from Europe. And, uh, I, I came back in June and then I went to New York and I went back for the opening of the museum where I had two exhibitions, one on the history of photography collection and one on, one on, uh, the graphic arts, prints, drawings, and, in books.
1: And yet the story really doesn't just end. I, I had the uh, pleasure of speaking with you a little bit before we started the recording about um, whether you are still um, in contact with the queen, um, the Shaba Anu, as she was known, Faradiba. And um, throughout the book, it's clear that she's, she's the support, a support behind the project. And you also have this wonderful photograph on the cover of, Uh, yourself and the Queen. And I wondered if you might talk a little bit about the relationship you had and how you continue to be friends today. Well, I would
2: say that um, during the time that I was in Iran, I actually... she was a very big presence in my life. I mean, there were pictures of her everywhere in my office, in the building, and around the, the you know the city. Uh, I went to a number of events that she was present at. But uh, with royalty, you're not able to just go up and shake their hand and say hello. <laughs> you have to be officially introduced. And uh, I wasn't officially introduced, actually, until... Um, August of 76. And I had been working for the Iranians from February of 75. And um, I was invited at that time with about 10 other people to go with the Queen to the Shiraz Arts Festival, which was its 10th year. And it was known worldwide because it brought in uh, the greatest avant-garde and also indigenous artists from countries around the world and it was a, a you know a kind of meeting of the artists and it was done in in um, various places all around Shiraz, including the ancient site of Persepolis. so it was very grand and very exciting. And uh, we spent three days uh, uh, going to events, uh, uh, going to the bazaar, going to uh, concerts at the tomb of Hafez, um, all kinds of things that happened. And uh, the last night, uh, which was a formal event at dinner, uh, I was actually finally introduced to her. And uh, she told me that uh, she'd always thought thought of me as uh, an old woman with glasses. <laughs> that she didn't realize I was so young, attractive, and chic. <laughs> so it was it was kind of very funny. And um, and then uh, I um, again reconnected with her. Uh, when she was already in exile about 10 years in 1990. And uh, I had a, a wonderful Iranian friend and through her, um, I asked for an interview because I thought that uh, what she had done had been so far in advance of anything in the near and Middle East, uh, up in, even till 1990, And uh, way before, three decades before any of the museums that are now in Dubai and uh, and the other countries of the Emirates. And um, anyway, uh, so I did this on-the-record interview about two and a half hours, actually. And um, I had brought along with me the photographer, um, the feminist photographer, Judy Dater, and uh, she did portraits of her as we talked. And um, I was able finally to uh, publish a, a, just a small section of the, of the long interview in uh, 2013 in a book called Performing the Iranian State. And it was at that time that I really reconnected with her and that we've, you know, uh, talked off and on through the years about various things that either she was interested in that I might know, or that I was interested in and that she knew. And uh, she was very kind when I was writing and, you know, uh, answered all my questions. And indeed, through these years, she's been saying to me, please write your book. I know you have these Archives that you've kept, we need to have those, you know, we need need them to be out there and for people to be aware of what went on. Um, you know, she, she, w- this was a passionate uh, project for her. She loves art. And indeed uh, it wasn't the only museum that she started at the time. She started one for Luristan bronzes, for glassworks, for Painted miniatures for the Kajar period, which is seventeenth and eighteenth 18th, 18th and nineteenth century art, and um, so she was committed to educating her uh, populace, and she thought that by uh, having um, artworks available for them to see and to understand and to uh, th- their to know their national patrimony that would be part of their education. Um, The, um, the Shah in 1963 had something which he called the um, white revolution. And it was uh, a way to uh, bring his populace to a more contemporary point of view. And it, it, uh, changed the status of women. It um, uh, it made it possible for people to have uh, to own land who had previously not been able to have land. The distribution was uh, changed, and um, there was uh, uh, all kinds of industries that were uh, taken over by the government and uh, it was a, a time where they focused on literacy. And uh, when the queen became very active in her role later in the 60s and in the 70s, uh, she she worked in the areas of um, social welfare, uh, education, and culture. And uh, so she thought that the arts were very important and really supported them uh, very effectively
1: and this compelling story that you tell in the book it really does continue in these spreading off in these different directions as you've just described and also we have the fact that there is still an art collection there and the maybe the final question i'd like to ask you is what are your hopes for that collection that was such a part of your life? What would you like to see happen with it?
2: Well, actually, I think they've begun to, uh, uh, they realize how important it is in terms of its value and interest. And uh, what I try to do is not just talk about the money value of things, which uh, is in every article you read about, uh, the collection, but actually, the aesthetic value and the importance of what the queen actually did in terms of establishing the museum, of, um, of creating a, a dialogue between East and West, of uh, her her ability to uh, have a kind of global perspective uh, that was way in advance of uh uh what you know the current um approach to globalism and uh you know i think all of those things made uh her uh legacy a pretty extraordinary and very much in advance of other countries uh from uh, central asia and and uh um near the near East and uh, it seems to me that uh, because of what she did uh, they have not only a fabulous uh, uh, financial um, uh, stockpile but uh, and they know that which is why it's still there but um, that, Uh, that they're actually taking care of it. They just renovated the museum. Uh, It took 30 months to completely redo it. Um, They've put up um, a new website. The works are cataloged. Um, They're actually publishing a six-volume collection uh, catalog corpus. And, uh, you know, so I think... Uh, what they're doing is pretty wonderful and they're moving forward and they have been lending works to museums in Scotland and England, in uh, Japan um, and uh, other places. So um, I think that's good that the collection gets, is is taken care of well and it gets to be seen. And uh, hopefully it'll be, um, you know, uh exhibited more in uh, you know its own museum in in the Tehran Museum of Contemporary Art I was very excited to hear recently uh, because I have an Instagram account that and uh, that's followed by many people who work at the museum and uh, you can message on Instagram and I received a message uh, which was very surprising to me it was my um, my name that I had written in English and in Farsi, and then uh, there was a, uh, the logo of the Queen's office in a separate image. And I, was, I wrote back and I said, where did you find these? And so I learned that all of my files that I had carefully uh, uh, made uh, before I terminated my job there Uh, for each artwork, both in the Western collection and in the contemporary Iranian collection, uh, that all of that is in the archive of the museum. So I was thrilled. I was really pleased to know that, you know, they're taking care of things uh, and that they have kept the important things that we had uh, established for the collection.
1: This is a very positive and exciting note on which to end. And (laughs) I—that's—it's a—it's a a good ending, and I'm smiling. Very helpful, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I'm sure listeners are thinking: social media, Instagram. You know, there there's another piece of the puzzle. Um,
2: Oh, they're very savvy technically. You know, they're on they're on social media all the time. Uh, It's it's fascinating.
1: Here's an example where sometimes we hear so much about negative. Elements of social media, and we can challenge that narrative. Mm-hmm. I, I really want to thank you for taking the time and giving us uh, insight into this memoir. And just a reminder, everyone: the title of the book is "The Empress and I: How an Ancient Empire Collected, Rejected, and Rediscovered Modern Art" by Donna Stein, published by Skira in 2020. And um, I. Again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Kristen.